Okay, here's the thing, though. Uh, as long as Pixar's doing sequels and prequels, why on earth haven't we had more in the Incredibles universe? This is episode 49 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, June 26, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and as usual, tonight I am joined by that monster of a man known as Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? Hey, I'm doing wonderful. TJ, good evening. So Hello from the monster world on yes. the other side of your closet door. <laughs> I wondered how long it'd take you to come up with something. You got to think on your feet, man. Tonight we are also. Wait, you going to keep interrupting me, or how are we going to do this? Yes, keep going. <laughs> uh, tonight we're also joined. Got, okay, what what was that, TJ? <laughs> tonight we're also joined by a special guest, Ben Kaiser of. Uh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten which website you're with. Of the Pacific Coast. Movieguide.org. Movieguide.org. Thank you. So how are you, Ben? I am doing great. It's great to be here. So We have someone famous. Yes, yes, precisely. <laughs> now, now, last week, um, and, and I'm still getting caught up, I and mean, we just got you set up today, so I'm, I'm sorry in my lapse of memory there. I've got so many things floating through my head. Last week, Joe, you and I announced who we had to replace you as a host. I'm still crying that you're leaving the show, by the way. <laughs> and that completely and totally fell through. So the search is on for a new guest or for a new co-host. Mm. And so we're we're working mm. through some folks and seeing what might work out. So it's very difficult to replace me. It, it is. You're you're one of a kind. So so Ben, um, we we've, we've been talking and we're not sure how things are going to work out. But we said, well, let's let's have you on the show tonight and uh, and see what what develops. So uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about uh, what you do over there at Movie Guide. Well, um, at, here at Movie Guide, I work as a radio producer and a uh, associate editor. So I get to go to a lot of pre-screenings and do uh, movie reviews for Movie Guide and uh, do some interviews with stars sometimes. So it's a, a lot of fun. Um, I live about an hour north of L.A., so I do a lot of traveling into L.A. and get to go to some of the studios. So um, I've worked here for about a year. Um, it's been a great experience and uh i'm just looking forward to talking about some movies awesome. your audio is coming through loud and clear you obviously have great. some experience yes i have a fancy mic is it too loud i can no you're, you're you're perfect i no, I, you sound like you're sitting right here with us yeah great what just right the geek in me wants to know what kind of mic you have the mic i have is a R R E 320 okay I'm not familiar with that one. Well, uh, so over at Movie Guide, though, you guys do a lot more kind of family-oriented, uh, mm -hmm. just as the name suggests, kind of a guide uh, to, to what families might possibly expect, I think, is, is my understanding. You can correct me if I'm telling, the, telling it wrong, but is that kind of what you guys do over yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. We are, yeah, we're, we call the family guide to entertainment. So we review movies and some, some TV shows from a, a Christian perspective, but we also are doing it to inform families what's appropriate and what's not for, mm -hmm. uh, for children, essentially. So Ben, is your boss Ted Bear? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Okay, so, that's nice to know. Joe, I know it sounds like is. you know more about Movie Guide than I do. Oh, yeah. I've shaken hands with Ted. I've had a dinner with him, actually, I think. It's been a few years. Well, you, I did you some just, you just rub radio shoulder, work with him. You rub elbows with all the famous people. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we had Ted Bear on a radio talk show that I did in 2007 and eight, called The Gary okay. DeMar Show, and it was broadcast mm -hmm. all over the country. And a few times, Ted visited our office, and he's, he's pretty smart. He, he really is good at reviewing movies. 
He knows and, uh, a lot about movies. That's for sure. No kidding. And not just knows about them, but he's right there with them <laughs> like you are. So have you been on, been on any good movie sets lately? Um, I was on the movie set for Jobs. Nice. Oh, nice. yeah. I, I was an extra. You were an extra. Cool. Yes. And you so, can see me in the movie trailer, actually. Ah, sweet. We're, okay. I'm in, we're I'm we're in a crowd of people clapping my hands. So Okay. Cool. What well, would you say your extra character was? Oh, well, my character's name was Extra 232. Okay. <laughs> and really, I tried to bring a lot of depth to it. And I really hope, watch the trailer over and over, and you should feel like a lot of emotion seeping out of the character. Yeah, and probably just, a very nerdy guy that works for Hewlett Packard or somebody, you know, like that. Something like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really, you know, I'm looking towards the Oscars, man. That's what I'm aiming for. Awesome. They, this they is great. We have, a, we have a budding star in our midst, Joe. Yes, we do. <laughs> I, I'm actually, we talked about this last week a little bit. I'm actually looking forward to the movie Jobs, even though it's kind of got some mixed reviews. But man alive, doesn't Ashton Kutcher really look like Steve Jobs? It's, it's quite amazing. No, he doesn't. But um, on, on that note, Ben, <laughs> you've already watched the movie, haven't you? No, I haven't actually. Um, but I did get to see how uh, Ashton Kutcher kind of took the role of Steve Jobs on the set and I actually was very impressed by like how much he embodied the character and really he stayed in character the entire day because it was a it was a mm. long day but um well some of the other actors in between takes would start goofing off and pulling pranks Ashton was just like dead serious he would walk around the room rehearsing lines and huh. at a certain point, he even got a little angry with some of his co-stars like Josh Gad because they were like not taking the job seriously. And I actually have a little more respect for Ashton after that. So in, in Jobsian fashion, almost, you could say. Oh, yeah. 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 Getting, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there, you know, the stories that Jobs, after the whole mobile me disaster, I don't know if anybody in our audience keeps up with what happens at Apple, but the, the launch of mobile me did not go well. And the, the stories are such that, you know, Steve Jobs basically wielded a flamethrower walking around the halls, you know, <laughs> firing people. <laughs> Who knows how much of that is true. But anyway. I, I also heard there was a rumor that there was a person that would just walk behind Steve Jobs rehiring the people he fired. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> well, hey, uh, Joe, are you ready to dive into some follow up? Sure. Now, what exactly do we follow up today? Well, the follow-up this week is going to have to do with Superman and our, our Man of Steel episode, uh, which just because, you know, I, uh -huh. haven't, I haven't gotten enough hate about my position on Man of Steel yet, which, oh? which is, of course, as, as anybody can recall in our audience, and as you might recall, Joe, that I did not like this film very right. much I, at all. Right. I represent the right opinion. You, you represent the, the other opinion. The wrong opinion, correct. Yeah. I, that's, okay. that's, that seems to be the way you're, you're taking that. Um no, I just I wanted to talk a little bit about this. Uh, I, I put a couple of links in the show notes, uh -huh. uh, which you, uh, our listeners, will be able to find uh, in the show notes at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 49 when this episode gets mm. pushed out. Um, the first one is Man of Steel Damage is way worse than 9-11. Uh, this was very interesting because I know, you know, it's one thing to watch the film and see a city getting destroyed. It's another thing to actually look at the numbers like this the the research did here yeah no it, it was it was quite interesting uh, and I, I certainly wouldn't want to do that kind of research but you know they 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 showed that the the damage done by or in man of steel i should say 
and a lot of it by <laughs> by Superman himself, if I may say. Um, this was definitely the worst damage of any superhero film I know of. Yeah, certainly. Even like if you if you look at the totality, far worse than the Avengers. Um, hmm. and, and and people have complained about that. And I even even you know even I though I felt like it was over the top. I felt like in the Avengers it had more of a purpose. And and you know really yeah and and. It felt like your heroes were trying to stop the uh, destruction, whereas it felt like Superman was contributing. That that's my my big huge complaint with Man of Steel. And Ben, if you mm. have anything to say about this, I mean, I mean, I'm just getting to know you, so I don't know what your opinions on this by me feel, might, might be. Feel free to to jump in and and talk. Your buddies with Henry Cavill, right? <laughs> oh yeah, we just we had a drink last. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm actually going to agree with film. TJ on this. I was uh I was pretty disappointed with the movie and uh you know over the whole destruction scenes you know to a certain extent you know it depends on the context of the construction i know like you take a movie like 2012 where absolutely like the majority of the earth gets obliterated okay um you know to a certain degree you're like okay this is very very gruesome and pretty dark um but they never really have any close-ups of people dying in gruesome ways. And in some ways, I think that it doesn't make it all right necessarily, but it makes it a little bit better that it's very usually a far off view when you see destruction happening. But Man of Steel specifically, you know, every time when you have like, uh, you know, city scenes where destruction's happening and I fear the same thing with Pacific Rim, you always kind of cringe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it's not even so much like it's okay to do that in a film. Mm-hmm. But but my problem specifically was that it felt like um, Superman himself was contributing to the damage and not caring about the people. Mm-hmm. And and that's just – it's so foreign to me when you think about Superman. Think about um, – Think about Superman two. I have quibbles with Superman two and the way they did the you know the whole let's let's beat each other up and you know we're all super powered and superhuman and we can't be killed but let's just pound on each other for a while. But Superman, <laughs> beside, aside from that, one of the things I did have always liked about Superman is he was trying to pull the the pull you know save the people and he pull always, the action away from the, the city. Right, he yeah. always cared mm-hmm. about the people, and yep. you didn't get that at all in Man of Steel. Not at all. Mm-hmm. And that I think really it, it bothers has, me. Until that last yeah. scene with General Zod, maybe. But even there, he kind of contradicts his character, by, his own character, by killing Zod. Yeah, and that, that I don't have a quibble with that, actually. I'm one of the few people who didn't, who are quibbling this way. In fact, that, that leads me to my next link in the show notes, Man of Steel and Morality. Um, this is by Andrew Wheeler over at Comics Alliance. I'll, I'm just going to read this first part here. Um... To begin at the end, the final confrontation between Superman and General Zod and Man of Steel is a source of considerable controversy. The fight ends when Zod tries to kill innocents and promises to kill everyone if Superman doesn't stop him, and Superman accepts Zod's ultimatum by snapping his neck. Some might look at that. Some might look at the scene and ask, "What else could Superman have done?" Others might offer alternate endings to the scene. It is not a useful conversation. It, it, it's the usual: who would win in a fight? The answer is always that the outcome is determined by the writer and the story bends to fit that outcome. Superman killed Zod not because there was no other choice, but because the people conceiving the story wanted Superman to kill Zod. That mm-hmm. is a revealing choice. It tells us that director Zack Snyder and writer David Goyer wanted to establish that there are times when killing is necessary, even for Superman. They believe that this bleak message is the right one to convey using the, one of the most moral characters in the modern fiction. And to that I say, I have to say, that's nonsense. Um, this is one of the things I was actually okay with in Man of Steel. I had multiple, many problems with Man of Steel, but him killing Zod was not one of them. Because um, 
what are we saying that it's never like should you know and there are those i'm I'm sure there are many among our audience and i'm sorry if i offend you with this uh but i i think that capital punishment is proper and appropriate and uh if i may say so as a christian that we don't talk about this that often on the show biblical um but um well it brings up the issue of the reason that you do kill somebody is uh you know, because there was no other course that you could take. Right. In the case mm-hmm. of Superman and General Zod, it was a protection of the people. It was the first mm-hmm. time we saw that displayed in Man of Steel, so I actually thought it appropriate. I just don't see how there would be many cases when Superman would ever kill anybody except one like this. And because the film doesn't address where Superman stands on this type of issue, we take it for granted that because they did it in the first film – for this new franchise by Snyder, mm-hmm. you know, that this is saying something for Superman's character. I don't know that the film meant to do that. And therefore, because they left this very ambiguous suggestion that Superman's just cool with killing whatever villain comes down the pike that, uh, well, that's, that's a failure on the movie's part, not to convey, mm-hmm. um, Superman's true, you know, point of view. And unfortunately, so much of the movie is consumed by um, origin storytelling mm, or yeah. by uh, exploring a sci-fi alien attack genre, you know, motifs that it doesn't get to really explore what Superman is thinking about all the craziness that's actually happening around him in the last latter half of the film. He mm-hmm. just has to, you know, you know, keep keep moving to to keep up with Zod. Mm-hmm. I hope that, you know, I still think, though, we're thinking of this film as a Christopher Nolan film when we compare it to. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, we don't, we're, we're treating it like we expected Christopher Nolan, you know, style. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's there. This is Zack Snyder, heavily influenced by Nolan, but not Nolan himself. And if anything, this actually proves that Zack Snyder is more interesting to me as a director in his potential for the future. Because he's done something here that he, he he didn't show this kind of potential before. I wasn't crazy about what he's done with the, his other films. And if he's capable of this, then I think he's growing as a, a director. And hopefully, it'll prove that he can grow some more by the next uh, sequel. Okay. Well, in this linked article in the show notes, I did just want to mention one more thing. Like like I mentioned that first when I linked to it on on in my article. Um, and I co- made that commentary basically the same thing I just said. I, it was actually one of the things I was okay with. But the rest of the article I agreed with a lot, and I'll just read a quick excerpt here. Uh, Superman is not a hero in this movie. He's a liability. This is a movie where everyone would have been better off, and, and thousands more people would be alive if Superman had <laughs> never come to our planet. It's hard to see that this is a message of hope. If the filmmakers had written yeah. it so that Zod had always meant to target Earth, and Jarrell sent his son to stop him, that would place... That would place an act of heroism at the story's core rather than the acts of desperation and revenge. It would make yeah. Superman a solution, not a problem. The at rest the of the, heart, yeah. the, rest sorry, of the story would play out largely the same way, but events would have moral weight. The filmmakers chose to go a different way. Mm-hmm. And there's more to read here, but uh, I agree with that so much. And Ben, yeah. uh, we've been talking a lot, so if you if you have anything to say more on that. No, I, I actually really agree. And when I you know mentioned early about him uh, contradicting his character, I wasn't talking about his character within the Man of Steel universe. I was thinking of more of the old-fashioned in Superman Returns or the Richard Donner films, how that Superman was a completely – seemed to have different core values than this Man of Steel did. And I don't necessarily have a problem with Zack Snyder's uh, – his approach 
or uh, David Goyer's. But uh, it does kind of remind me of the Dark Knight when you have the Joker and uh, Batman's whole, uh, you know, point it's not off, to kill yeah. the Joker and how frustrated I was. You know, take him out and you save tons of lives. Right, right, right. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's it. And I just really wanted to add a little more to that conversation, just so more more of our listeners could be angry at me for for having the opinion <laughs> that I do about Man of Steel. <laughs> but that's kind of where I'm coming from. I hope that helps um, illustrate a little more where I'm coming from. I felt last week, I believe it was last week, was that it was directly the previous episode we did, right? Yes, yes. yes. Um, and and I felt like I wasn't quite as clear as I could have been. Uh, I think that was the week I, I was I was sick. Uh, you were sick. Yeah. You so you definitely came across as sick. So anyway, um, and, and then I just had a little bit of fun. Since we're on the topic of Man of Steel still, uh, I had a little bit of fun in finding this trailer, which I'll play just a little bit from Honest Trailers about Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. And I, in the, the, the point here in the highlight is that uh, I liked Man of Steel far better than Superman 4. <laughs> Good. Good call, two fans. Let's crack open the Honest Trailer vault. Oh, that was that was great. Did you did you watch this, Joe? Yes, that's great. Have, have you seen this one, Ben? I have not. From seen the it production yet. company behind Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo, comes a <laughs> Superman movie so bad it likely killed the entire franchise for nineteen years. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm going to put that in the show notes. I will also drop it in the chat room um, just in case anyone is interested in watching that over there in the chat room. If I can pull the link here. Um, the thing about Superman 4 and 3 and really 2 and some part of 1 is that they were products of their time and 2, they weren't products of the best filmmakers. And it's it's rather unfortunate because I think that our childhood, you know, daydreams uh, about Superman and what he represents reflect a golden era of Superman comic mm. books. And we think about the all-American patriotism, his very moral upbringing by the Kents. But even when we were growing up, guys, you got to admit that if you paid attention to what Superman was doing in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s in comics and cartoons, he was already making a turn. And especially in the comics when he dies and comes back and all kinds of other crazy, silly things I've, happen. I've never kept up with the comics. Yeah. It's just that I think way too many people have this impression that Superman only stood for one thing. He, there was only one version of Superman and that... Well, there is. There's only one version. Christopher Reeve is Superman, dude. That's just it. That's, oh. that's all there is. Oh, wow. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I don't think that... Oh, okay. I don't think that there's any actor... That has nailed Superman for me. Oh no 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 no! Come on, man, Christopher Reeve. That's it. He, he's Superman. That's it. It's his. It's his best role, but it's not. No. No. Okay. Are 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 you going to tell me? Um. Either one of you answer this question. Which of the three decent Superman movies we have? Well, there's actually. I think there's four, but I know Joe. You only consider three of the three decent Superman movies that we have. Uh, Superman the movie, uh, Superman two, and Man of Steel. Which is the best? All in all, performance is best by Christopher Reeve, but best representation for, uh, I don't know, just a, a normal guy? I would say Henry Cavill. Oh, jeez. I'm going to go with Henry. Oh, man, Henry you guys, Cavill. You guys are killing me. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Well, I, my interest in the Superman universe has been reignited, and I've been, you know, I, I found <laughs> stuff like The Honest Trailer, Superman 4. 
Um, and so and, you started scraping at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> well, for some okay, when I wrote my review of Man of Steel, I re- I, I I mentioned Supergirl. I said we like to pretend Supergirl doesn't exist, and I hadn't watched it since for I was like good reasons nine or ten years old was the last time I saw it. Right, and so I found it on the internet and I watched most of it just for laughs. It is far worse. It is far worse than I remember. It is a terrible, terrible film. Don't 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 watch it. No comment. <laughs> have have no, you seen stay, Supergirl? Stay out of that. <laughs> have you seen Supergirl, Ben? I have not. Don't bother. Oh my goodness, 1984. Um, that movie, like, it it was like a parody of a parody of a parody or something. It was really bad. I mean, Who st- it. Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, Supergirl it wasn't Donner. No, 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 no. He would never steep himself that low. The only, the only name worth mentioning was uh, who was it? You said did the soundtrack? Uh, oh, um, Jerry um, Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Strangely enough, th- this was a big budget film too. Like it's so weird. Um, uh, Janat Schwark, Schwark. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, Jaws Two is one of his other titles. Hmm. Oh, he's directed uh, episodes of Bones, so he's gone on to do better things. He's directed episodes of Fringe and Smallville wow. and Heroes, like all these things that I like. So interesting. I hated his Supergirl. <laughs> he directed a, he directed an episode of Numbers. I, I liked Numbers. Um, interesting. So mostly TV, it looks like. I'm seeing a lot of TV in here, and the movies tend to be earlier. Uh, Jaws 2, Somewhere in Time, Enigma, Supergirl, Santa Claus – which, uh, yeah, I, I don't know anything about those except for Supergirl, which was horrible. They did things like um, she's she's in this wherever it is that Supergirl starts out uh, that's like in a different dimension or whatever. And as she's traveling to Earth through the space warp thing, when she comes up out of the and she, and she for some unknown reason, she when she emerges on Earth, she comes up out of the water and she's she was in her white Kryptonian garments and she comes up and she's in her supergirl costume. That I mean that that's a sort of movie we're dealing with here. <laughs> so, anyway, I just thought that was funny. Uh, I thought I would mention it. You, okay. Joe, this is uh last week I started mm-hmm. something new called Trailer Bite. Are you ready to dive into Trailer Bite this week? Yeah, let's shoot it. In a world <laughs> in a world 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 in a world all right, this week for Trailer Bite. <laughs> is, is that supposed to be like the musical cue or whatever for this section? Yeah, that was a musical cue, and you're completely awesome. destroying it, man. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> well, you didn't introduce it. We've got to talk about this. A okay. little commentary track for our show here. The, you introduced that trailer in last episode, right? That was some, one of yeah, them that well, we talked about. Yeah, well, that's just a soundbite for the trailer. It's not, it's nice. not a trailer. It's ah, just the soundbite to kick off right. the section, and you completely yes. ruined it. I like I was supposed to go right into it. Shall, shall I try again? <laughs> Sorry, we're officially losing the cool song. In a world, 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 world. In a world. Okay, so this week we only have a few trailers, not nearly as many as last week. Uh, this week, the Smurfs two trailer, Jobs trailer. There are six clips from Red 2, The Counselor trailer, a movie from Ridley Scott, and Pacific Rim at the Edge TV spot. Well, as far as I'm concerned, we can jump right over Smurfs. Yeah, I agree. Read. <laughs> I can't uh, believe this film is getting made. This is horrible. It, is anyone watching this trailer? Yeah. Who, oh, who's gonna, who's, what's the target audience here? Who's going to watch this thing? Uh, I don't, I don't uh, understand wow. how the first one made $500 million. Did it make $500 million? That's like a crime. 
What <sighs> on earth? What what is the deal with that? Mm. I, I don't I don't understand. What's wrong with our generation? Yeah. So apparently, Welcome to the party. Ah! I am making so that's that's Gargamel. To help me capture the Smurfs. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna say I'm I'm just gonna come right out and say uh, I'll be willing to be wrong later. Smurfs two, <laughs> don't 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 bother. Do you intend to review this movie, TJ? No, I have no intention of even seeing it. So somebody <laughs> will have to tell me. Someone will have to beg me to go see it if they think it's any good. I'm I'm not planning on it. Here we go, Jobs trailer. Steve, it takes guts to drop out like you did. Higher education it comes at the expense of experience. I gotta say, I am really really looking forward to this film. I, you know, are y'all familiar with uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley? I am not. I've heard of it. Surely you've seen it, Ben. I have not seen it. Oh, guys, you're killing me. For well, the nerdy at heart, th- that's a that's a must watch. I mean, I've heard of it. Low budget independent film talking of you know, well, you know, illustrating the early years of Jobs and Bill Gates, and it was it, it was pretty entertaining. Documentary? No, it was it was a uh, you know told as a narrative, a drama. Oh, you and know, I the guy who played. Yeah, the guy who played Jobs did a pretty good job. Uh, yeah, and uh, Steve had this guy pr- uh, play like the part of himself at the beginning of an Apple keynote back in like 1998 or something. You know, 99, maybe 2000. He at a Apple event, he actually allowed the actor who played himself in the movie to get up on stage and introduce, you know, the event. Weird. Yeah, I mean, it says something when uh, Steve actually com- complimented the film. It's yeah. worth watching. Yeah. So are are you guys looking forward to the Jobs film? I mean, obviously you were in it. Yes. Man, so yeah. <laughs> I may be a little biased here. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I've been looking forward to it since I heard about it. And man, I got to I got to say, I mean, I know I don't it sounds like you don't agree, Joe, but man, it seems like Kutcher really embodies Jobs from what I can well, tell. I don't think there's many actors who could, and I think he's going to do a fine job. I'm just not sure that the direction is going to be where i want it to be i, I, think that the, I agree i think the actors are where where it's at for this film but i'm not sure about the direction in my opinion i can already tell that they're covering a lot of ground in the movie um so i'm a little worried it's going to be a little yeah. too fast-paced yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I agree they're covering a lot of ground I, I feel like they're they're going to gloss over a lot of stuff but at the same time you know I'm I'm a, I'm a, as as anybody who's listened to the show for any length of time knows I'm a big Apple nerd fan. I have my my phone is an iPhone. My computers are Macs. Uh, I edit film on Macs. Um, you know, and, and so I'm looking forward to the film just to see what it has to say. And you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll hmm. see. Anything else? To I say? also I also think that the trailer is really well done, but I think it could be marketing it different than the actual movie is going to be like. I think uh, uh, yeah. I think many people will yeah. see the trailer and go see the movie, and it'll be very different. Yeah, I agree. I think that could be a problem for sure. I can see that. Yeah, I agree. I like it that but, they show the Apple One, uh, or at least ways what they portray to be an Apple One. I don't know right. that I've ever seen one mm-hmm. operating <laughs> in any sort of YouTube video or otherwise a documentary. I just it's always referred to on Wikipedia the Apple One, the Apple Two, but I like I never actually see what that looks like. Yeah. So. All right. In action. There were also this week six clips from Red Two. Um, I am I am very much looking forward to this film. You saw the first one, right? I got to tell you something. You have to start to learn to share your feelings to evolve your relationship. Even. 
It's going to um, be so good. Oh, I, I love the first one. I know oh, yeah. some people didn't, but I really like the first one. I I'm really just, I love the whole th- feel of that film. Just in, mm-hmm. in the old school and the old guys, you know, coming in and you got the young, you know, young guys, you know, it's almost like they, they can't believe these old guys are coming in and, and do anything like that. I mean, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I just really liked it. And this film looks like it's going to be even better. The sequel so, yep. looks like it's going to be less indie and more mainstream. I, I like it. Sorry. <laughs> I think it looks much better than through. The Expendables. <laughs> What's that? I think Red is much better than The Expendables. I've not seen The Expendables, but I would oh. have to, from what I know, agree. You mean The Inventionables? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more. Uh, let me look at my show outline one more. Yes, one more. Uh, Pacific Rim. That was what I was trying to cue up when I accidentally played it. Friends, this is Marshall Strike of Pentecost. Prepare for neural handshake. Initiating neural handshake in 15 seconds. <laughs> neural handshake. I'm what? not <laughs> sure what to think about this film. I know one of the guests that I am lining up, we're, we're talking right now about when he's going to come on, and we mentioned uh, Pacific Rim as a possibility because he's looking forward to it. I I don't know what to think about this film uh, until this, uh, for sure, until this trailer, this at the edge spot. Mm. I really felt like the film was just a smash em, crash em, rock em, sock em. That, that, you know, it didn't feel like there was much of a plot to be had here. This I'm not film, a big fan of Del Toro, but I don't know what he's doing with this. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Ben, what do you think? Um, I've been pretty skeptical through all the trailers. I just watched this tv spot today and i think it's making me a little more comfortable with the idea exactly yes i feel exactly the same way i think it might be one of those movies that's really good or it's just gonna be really bad yeah and i really don't know what to think at this point you know i thought world war z was gonna be really bad in all honesty and it blew my mind so this one it could do the same thing yeah it looks like uh gi joe meets i am legend or something Mm -hmm. and that could be that could be a huge failure but one big question is there's no star power. Like, Yeah, well, that's true. I've, I've noticed that from the beginning, which is not necessarily bad. Like G.I. Joe. I'm trying to remember. Um, and it's been so long since since the, the Matrix came out. Were any of the, of the guys in the Matrix known at all before it came out? Keanu eh. Reeves, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, that's true, which I, I, I don't even... I, <laughs> was, was that it, though? But, but was like Lawrence oh. Fishburne known before that? Um, what was he in? I want to say he was in something. But Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures was um, kind of like a... Just Cause, right? Or around that time? Yeah, that's a good question. But but Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures was like a, uh, um, was it like a cult thing or was it really, I mean, because it didn't seem like it would be a mainstream thing, does it? I, I really maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, I think it kind of turned into a cult classic now right. nowadays, but I right. don't know if it was so big uh, back then when it came out. Oh, is that that uh, the phone ringing? Is that yours, Ben? Uh, I, I just took it that it was uh, something on TJ's soundboard. No, 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 nope. no. Uh, I, I, and I kept here's a for, caller. <laughs> I kept looking for my phone because that sounds like a lot like my ring, but it's not mine. Mine's sitting right here on silent. Um, no, I turned it off. There you go. Yeah, so anyway, my point is um, I don't care like if, if the star power is there or not as long as the film's good. So I, I'm, I'm, we'll see. I'll go see it, and I'll try to keep an open mind. I, I, up until this point, I certainly haven't been expecting much. This trailer really makes me feel a little bit more for it because it really felt a lot more um, creative and mm-hmm. like there might actually be a plot to this thing 
Mm-hmm. It adds a bit more. Oh, I, I, as I wrote when I posted it, it adds a bit more of a human element for me. Well, yeah, and it, it, for me, it was the soundtrack to this trailer. Yes. It was a, an improvement over the others. I, I love the sound design, you know, where mm-hmm. the sound just went away. You know, that I, I, I just love that. So, mm. oh, I did skip one. I was going to say I felt like I was skipping one. Um, one more trailer so then. The, the counselor from coming from Ridley Scott. Has anybody else seen this trailer besides me? So yep. excited for this movie. It looks really good. I mean, we haven't seen much of it, but it looks really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I really don't know. I, I haven't even found a synopsis for this film yet. No soundbite. Oh, sure. I can, I can keep a soundbite. Ooh. Director of gladiator and Prometheus. This is theater of the mind. You gotta, if your definition of a friend is someone who will die for you. You don't have any friends. St. Cameron Diaz, Brad Pitt. There Brad are things Pitt. these people are simply incapable of. There are not. Uh, Michael Fassbender, Elby Cruz. Uh, oh, Javier uh, Bardem. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. So Great cast. Great yeah, cast. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I'm definitely looking forward to see, you know, see what, they're, what, what Ridley Scott's been up to. Hey, Ben, are you in this movie too? <laughs> yes i'm that little cheetah that is uh sitting there i love your costume yeah pretty good Front it's uh it's the capture motion stuff i was I had to wear the green suit. no <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's move on to our items of interest i don't have a uh, a clip or a bite to open up items of interest but i've been thinking about something like that mm, gotta work on it all right so the first item of, of interest up for grabs is the Avengers is finally on Netflix, which doesn't really affect me because I've owned the thing since it was possible to own it. It's been mm-hmm. available for DVD, right? Yeah, well, on yeah. Well, I, I bought it on iTunes, uh, so it's it's you know it's on my Apple TV anytime I want it. But it's for those who've been waiting for a way to uh, view it with your online streaming. Uh, the Avengers is now That's on quite Netflix. Convenient. So, well, it, it is what it is. I mean, yeah, that, if that there's was anybody quick... left who hasn't seen it. Yeah, you know, that was just a quick mention. Well, and if you even if you have seen it, you should see it again. It was a great film. Yeah. It's a pretty good win for Netflix, I guess. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm surprised. I, I'm a little surprised that they got it on Netflix because a lot of times, you know, they try to keep films like that off of Netflix. They had Iron like. Man 1 and Iron Man 2 and Thor there as well, yeah. right? Yeah, they did. I, I, I recently watched all those films in preparation for Iron Man 3. Just went back and watched all the, the comic superhero films from Marvel. And uh, yeah, they do. I'm- I'm pretty sure Disney struck a deal with Netflix too, where they're going to be releasing all their stuff come 2014. Oh, that would oh, be wow. nice. That would be nice. Definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Cause it feels like, I mean, Netflix, I wouldn't give it up for the world. Well, yeah, I would. I'm exaggerating, but, but and eventually I, when Disney buys all the other major, major movie <laughs> studios, that means that everything will be available on Netflix. But, but it's felt like for a while that, that a lot of your major films that you would want to watch have been kept off of Netflix, I think by design by these studios, so that you go and purchase them via other means and so they can make more money. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of frustrating for me as a Netflix customer, although Netflix, I, I think, has been um, trying to rectify that problem with their own original content, which I applaud. I, I'm ready to see this business model shift. And, uh, you know, Rested Development, a House of Cards – um, uh, one I haven't seen, which looked terrible, so I'm not going to see it. But I applaud the idea, of course, <laughs> of them doing original content. Hemlock Grove, um, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff I'm, I'm excited for. Yeah, it's it's a original Netflix series. So, 
Huh. I, I am right. I'm, I'm pulling that out of yeah. my head. It, it didn't get very good reviews, but they did renew it for a second season. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, that kind of leads up to my next topic, which uh, is that HBO Go and ESPN are now available on the Apple TV, and some cable providers are not allowing HBO Go to for the, allowing the sign in on on the Apple TV, uh, which is just frustrating. I mean, this goes right along with what I was saying that the the business model that I, I want to see shift is is being clung to here by these cable providers. Um, you know they. they this is another way to get more eyes on the content, and they're they're refusing to allow it. I, you know, I just don't get it. Yeah, they'll forever shoot themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then, but then raking all the money anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, I'd love to get you to weigh on in on this, Ben, because I, I harp on this all the time. I beat this dead horse to death, and so it'd be great to get a fresh voice and a fresh perspective on it. But you know, it's kind of like on Hulu. I get frustrated. Your your new TV shows, like one that I'm keeping up with that I'm behind on, and I'm probably going to miss out on seeing the last two episodes because I'm so behind on it. But uh, Revolution, the only the the most recent five episodes are available on Hulu, and only for you know five weeks or whatever, and then they go away and you can't watch them anymore. But I don't understand since Hulu content is monetized by commercials, why you wouldn't want to keep that out there to be monetized. The more people that view it, the more commercials get seen, and the more the commercials get seen, the more money you make, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Because Hulu wants you to buy Hulu Plus. Well, I have Hulu Plus, but that show is still only available for five weeks. You know, for the oh, last really? yeah. Okay, that is odd. It is very, very odd. And then some shows will only have the whole season for a limited time, and then yes, gone. I I don't know what they what they think they're doing. I I must be missing something in the business model here. Like maybe they think they're creating demand, and then once you release it, then people frenzy and flock Uh, to watch it. Or I I don't think they have a business model quite yet. Yeah, they're still figuring it it out. Hulu's still figuring things out. Yeah, well, and most of this, to be fair, is not Hulu. This is the content providers. They get to decide when it's available and when it isn't. Yeah, and there's Crackle and there's other media streams. It's uh, it's 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 strange, and mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult. Like, it, it doesn't go without saying that the studios want a single source for all media, like Netflix or Hulu. I can see why they would want to be very independent-minded and put only their programs on their site. But at the same time, there's a huge expense there because none of the consumers want to have memberships for every studio's site. Yeah, so, it's just too much work. Yeah, it's exactly. Precisely. The internet has added all kinds of complexity to this. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's I a think great that the opportunity. The best solution that- ultimately is the consumer model of iTunes, though I'm not mm-hmm. crazy about what we have to pay. At least, ways with iTunes, you can find most everything. Um, Apple gets a cut, and so do the studios, and you can find whatever you want on demand, and maybe you can rent it, or maybe you can buy it. Yeah, I, and eventually. I- you'll be able to just rent or buy any old movie you want through a portal like that where everybody gets a cut based on each individual viewing transaction. But I've really come around to the subscription model, though. Like, I really like the idea of Netflix, and I don't mind having, like, two or three. Now, having one yeah. for, like, like Hulu and Netflix and, you know, Amazon Prime, although I wish I could get Amazon Prime on my Apple TV. That's frustrating. Yeah, the best option for the consumer is the subscription model. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not paying, I, I don't have cable, I, I get all my content via the internet, or I go watch it in the theater, um, and, and I'm I'm paying less, even with all three of my subscriptions to Amazon, to Hulu, and to Netflix, I'm paying less than I would for cable, and I'm, I'm, I'd be willing to pay a little more if that's the problem. It's, but you know, I, I, that old model of people coming and planting themselves in their chair and watching at a specific time when it's broadcast on TV, that, that's that's over, that's done, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to watch the content when I have time, when I'm available. 
and you know on, on my own time and my own schedule which may fluctuate and change you yeah, know the whole least, the whole industry is just changing so fast and they're going to have to adapt because they're really hurting themselves yeah they're they're kicking against it instead of profiting from it as 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 luke says in uh return of the jedi (laughs) you can either profit from this or be destroyed and they seem to be choosing to be destroyed (laughs) Mm -hmm. um here's what i very subtle segue there tj (laughs) to our topic (laughs) well i i hadn't actually meant that to be a segue i because i had one more thing to say because you're brilliant um (laughs) uh, which is this um I'm just going to read what I wrote because there's people who just listen to the podcast and don't read it. So I'll just read it. Guys, I've got news for the likes of you cable companies. There is a revolution coming. Indeed, it is already here. Now, you can either get on board, grow, evolve, and profit from it, or you can become obsolete and eventually go out of business. It's your choice, but I know which one I would choose. Yeah, I just don't have that kind of faith in the higher-ups of the studios. There's too many decisions involved, and there's not they're not known for their leadership skills. Hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Now, oh, go ahead. No, I say I agree. <laughs> Next topic is, uh, as you mentioned, the, the, what should have been a great segue if I had thought to make it after what I had to say. <laughs> uh, new Star Wars uh, Seven rumor contradicts the previous one. The previous one really kind of had was was a casting call that really kind of had it in line with all these books uh, in the expanded universe with uh, Jason and Jaina Solo, the kid, the, you know, the uh, Leia and Han's uh, children. And uh, I, I always felt like that was a little strange. Like, why would they just go and, and, and basically tell the same story the books were telling? It didn't make a lot of sense to me. This casting call is much different. Um, it does not include a pair of 17-year-old uh, male and female twins. Uh, but, of course, all this is still just rumor. So I just wanted to mention it. And, you know, uh, Joe, I know you're a Star Wars guy more than I am. So mm-hmm. uh, what, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, the novelizations have those twins in them, not just one particular series of the novels, but, you know, there's all these different novels from all these different authors. There's different treatments of the character and watching, you know, uh, I guess, you know, unfolding how these characters grow up as the kids of Leia and Han. And I don't think that they are essential to canon because they, they belong to the novel world. They don't belong to the, uh, the masses yet, per se. Like they're they're not they're not canonical, so to speak. So I think that you know Lucas already had his original you know notes on what he would do with parts seven through nine, and I don't I don't hold it against him if he wants to completely deviate from the novels. If he's not going to tell stories that were told in the novels, if he's not going to introduce those villains and what Luke did in those stories. Then why does he have to some uh, somehow find a way to fit in those characters into the the movies that are you know to be made? Wh- why borrow the characters but not their stories? So I, I don't hold it against them if they don't appear at all. No, I don't either. I don't either. What do you, <laughs> have you had a chance to read anything about this, Ben? Um, I have not personally. I'm staying away from the Star Wars rumors. Because I think it just it gets too confusing, and I don't. I never read any of the novels. I yeah. don't know enough about either. the Star Wars universe to really contribute to the rumors. Okay. So yeah, until enough. until I see hard facts, I usually stray away from the rumors. We have a normal guy in our midst. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. Well, well this like we is were talking earlier. You sound like a slow talking Jesse Eisenberg. So <laughs> hey, you're not altogether normal. 
Well, this is a hard fact uh, that you might be able to get into then. Robert Downey Jr. signs on for two more Avengers films. Uh, I, I can live with that. Yeah, and, and this, is, this is the thing. I mean, we always knew that was going to happen, right? I mean, who really thought in all this contract negotiation stuff that, that Marvel would not come up with the money to make sure that they kept Iron Man in them? Because Iron Man is their star right now. Mm-hmm. And, and Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man right now. This is the and way because it trilogies are a thing... You know, yeah, absolutely. And and Joss Whedon had said that he would not be on board with uh, making an uh, Avengers two if he couldn't get Robert nah. Downey Jr. Tony Stark. I mean, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was just lobbying for more money. Sure. Well, and, and you know, he is because he can. So the question yeah. is, will we see an Iron Man four? No, I don't think we will. Not with I him. Not personally. I thought they. And, I liked the ending to the third one enough. Yeah, I was happy with that. And I'm I'm happy if they just let let that be. And and you know we, we there's more to be had with the Avengers. But we don't need more Iron Man. No. Uh, I, I think that uh, at some point you get franchise fatigue. And so I'm, I'm happy with with if they don't. And I don't think they will. I mean I, I really feel like uh, you know Gwyneth Paltrow is on record as saying no, we're done making Iron Man films. And I tend to believe her. And I don't know that the world at large is ready for um, franchises that are more than trilogies just now. And right now it seems to be the norm and audiences are very happy with it. Yeah, you get really mixed results too. I mean, like there's some franchises that have more than three films in them and they're fine and there's some that are just not. Well, there's a way in which the first film is an origin story. It's like watching Act 1. The yep. the second film is watching Act 2 and the a third pretty, film is watching Act 3. A and pretty terrible go, Act 2, if I may say. Eh, yeah. And, but then the thing is, if you break from that, then you turn it into an episodic-like franchise mm-hmm. where – each film could be independent and doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the others. Uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Now, if there ever was a director in our time uh, that could break from this trilogy norm, it would be J.J. Abrams with Star Trek. I could see him going beyond the the trilogy model and having a fourth and a fifth with his new cast of the franchise and explore this episodic feel. I don't even think he's going to direct Star Trek 3. I don't think he can. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't think he's going to have time. If he if he's going to be leading it, I could see him take taking it in that direction. He has said that he will produce it, but sure. I don't think he'll direct it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think he will produce it, as he said. But I, I don't see him directing it. I, I just think he's going to be too uh, too pressed for time. I mean, he's got Star Wars on his plate. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I think Paramount's going to want to crank out another Star Trek movie. Oh, that's that. another one. Uh, it's already been said, right? That in general, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. That uh, you know. For Star Wars, they've already uh, Disney's already made their uh, intentions known that they want more than just three more films. Oh yeah, yeah. and the, so, and they're spacing it uh, in between standalone films. Yeah, yeah. I think they have got at least two. I mm, I have wow. pretty mixed feelings about that. I, I I don't see it boding well for the Star Wars universe. <laughs> it's getting complicated. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. Marvel's kind of doing it too, if you think about it, because you know the Avengers has a trilogy. Uh, but so does Thor and theoretically, uh, you know, uh, Captain America and the Hulk will too. So it, there's a sense in which these are all different. I never really thought about this until just now, but in a sense, they're all individual trilogies. But then on the other hand, they're all complementary and closely associated to each other. So in a manner of speaking, we already have an ongoing franchise that is well over, you know, six or seven parts now. Uh, in, in just one cohesive whole with Thors and Hulks and, you know, Captain Americas and the like combined. It's a well-crafted mm. universe. Yeah. Jody in they the chat room that. wants to know why you're bringing up Star Trek, Joe. 
what's uh, so terrible about that? I don't know. I just oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll follow that up in the chat room. Okay. Well, hey, um, shall we talk about Pixar? And specifically, we're going to get around to Monsters University. Shall we? Shall we dive into that? Yes, let's. Ben, you go ahead and talk about this real quick with uh, you know uh, TJ, and I'll uh, answer Jody. Okay. So, so Pixar. Yes. Yeah, um, I agree. No, that's it. We're good. We're, we're yeah, good here, aren't good. we? No. <laughs> so what did you think? Did you think the sequel was necessary? Uh, well, technically it's a prequel, and I'm not a sure prequel, that it was necessary, but it's fun, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's part of me, I, boy, I have such mixed feelings about this, because there's part of me that feels like, wh- what's going on with Pixar? Are we getting sequelitis here? I mean, is, is, is everything a prequel and a sequel? You don't have any more new films? To, I mean, because that's what mm-hmm. Pixar did initially was they came up with some great great stories that that aside from toy story were all original you know they, they kept following up on toy story with toy story 2 and eventually toy story 3 but then they kept coming up with these great stories and these great unforgettable characters that had great compelling stories and uh and were technically well executed although i feel like even though pixar's known for that is really kind of a sideshow like that's fun and and that's good and everything but what pixar is really good at is the story and making you love their characters and telling original stories and so it kind of feels like um this is why i have mixed feelings about it where are the original stories i mean cars 2 was a complete and total uh, for the most part disaster i mean it i don't hate it as much as some people but it wasn't great and and brave i didn't even bother to go see because i was completely uninterested in the trailers i mean i i just mm-hmm. couldn't get into it and i then i started hearing things about the films and i um i'm trying to remember well, thinking I don't, about it like this tj um i've been thinking about this a little bit more of late because there's a lot of people talking about uh, sequels uh, and sequel fatigue in general, and what we might be seeing is the beginnings of maybe a new era for the next five, ten years, who knows, with prequel fatigue uh, just getting started. But in theory, you know, it could just be a trend or a uh, what's fashionable for the meantime while storytellers uh, come and go when a new generation comes along with new ideas to re- uh, refresh uh, you know, movie entertainment in five or ten years from now, when they get out of their funk and they find some new creative um, vat of you know ideas, and then that you know they move on. It could be. I was thinking about it. Like, think about other major studios that were very popular in the '30s, '40s, '50s, and '60s. Um, not all of them. Not all of those directors did much to deviate from their norms, except that there were very few sequels. Right. But think about Alfred Hitchcock. You could say that they all belonged to the same world, and if it weren't for the fact that he changed up the you know the characters most most all of the time, they they essentially feel like they belonged to the same. Uh, they're the closest thing to being sequels without being sequels because they were independent stories that didn't have anything to do with the previous ones, but they felt like they still belonged to Hitchcock's own movie franchise as it were and that was the the way of disney pictures how uh, disney movie pictures though they weren't uh sequels they all felt like they they were very much in keeping with the same kind of storytelling the same kinds of themes the same types of characters so you had all these disney princesses and they seemed very cliche in retrospect because they kept on repeating the same kinds of themes but that was just because that's what disney had is their their uh, their strong suit 
that was what they did. And so what were they saying in the 50s and 60s? Were they saying, ah, it's time that Disney did something new and original because all these films are all the same? You know, like, was there a way in which there was a feeling of creative fatigue in different times? And we're just not seeing the corollary because we're a new generation of critics that are feeling the fatigue of our time. Mm. This, I don't know. I'm just I'm throwing it sure out there. I'm, I'm not sure thoughts? if I'm completely tracking with you, Joe. Can you condense it a little bit for us? Uh, don't you see us ever getting over the funk we're in with sequels? <laughs> or do you think that this is just going to go on forever until like all entertainment you know crashes and burns? I don't know. I don't know. I think I think as long as uh, you know, it's a brilliant thing for the studios to do in terms of money because they already have the brand created. The brand's already there. And there's already a fan base. So as long as the money's there, we're going to keep seeing them. And I don't think people will ever get sick of seeing them personally. Just because if they like the characters, um, for mo- the most part, they're going to want to see them again at some point. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to balance. See, because I, I think maybe in my mind, and I don't know to what extent this is true for other people, but inherently, in the theater of TJ's mind, yeah, in the theater of my mind inherently what kind of goes on for me is if it's a prequel or a sequel, it feels less creative. But at the same time, how do you begrudge them leveraging their brand? I mean, we all do that in our, I mean, I do that with movie bite. I try to leverage the brand, right? And, and we all kind of do that. So I guess I shouldn't begrudge them that. And I really did enjoy monsters university. So I think well, it's maybe a, a false perception. Rather, wouldn't you rather that they explore the franchises they've already created that were very successful rather than try to find new and original uh, stories and worlds and introduce new characters that they're not confident will uh, excel like the the other ones that are tried and true. Yeah, well, especially after Brave. I'm I'm glad they're getting back to to monsters because we know that's a tried and true universe. Yeah, I wonder, I, I wish we could have some commentary from the people at Pixar on that very point. I wonder if some of them thought to themselves, hey, why don't we do something new and different rather than another sequel? How about we do a story that's medieval, blah, 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 and they wind up with Brave. Maybe that was the, the product of trying to do something new and different rather than doing something that they, they knew was great along the way, like you know, finding Nemo or something. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Disney cranks out the best Pixar film that Pixar never made in in, uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. (laughs) Ben, didn't you just love that film? Didn't it bring about all kinds of awesome childhood memories of Disney Arcade? Uh, you know, I went to the pre-screening of Wreck-It Ralph, and there were a bunch of critics there, and they all, a lot of them, brought their kids to go see it. And it was funny when I was sitting there because the adults were laughing a lot more than the kids were because there were so (laughs) many like inside jokes of the arcade games and everything. And and the adults, you know, the dads were just laughing their heads off. Yeah, totally. But at the same time, it had that same Pixar feel. I mean, this is one of the great things about most Pixar films, all Pixar films that I've seen. uh, And I haven't seen Brave, so I don't know about it. But kids and adults both get something out of the Pixar films, right? Mm-hmm. They, there is something in those films for everybody and on different levels you can appreciate it and um, I felt I completely felt that way about Wreck-It Ralph and, and it's not surprising when you look at the talent behind Wreck-It Ralph uh, especially John Lasseter uh, who's now the head of Disney Animation right I mean and he was the producer on Wreck-It Ralph so I guess it's not surprising but it's just I, I think there's some nostalgia for me not, yeah. nostalgia is not a wrong word but some some connection with, with Pixar that you go, you want Pixar to succeed, even though they basically are Disney, a, a branch of Disney now. 
you want Pixar to succeed, and so it's been frustrating to watch kind of what we might think of as the decline with the last two films, and and to see you know Disney taking the kind of the uh, star power and behind the scenes of Pixar and making this great film. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to take a very uh, I don't know if you want to call this uh, hedonistic point of view as it relates to Pixar, but frankly, I just want really great entertainment in my animated films and. I don't care if it comes from Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks or whatever, as long as they can tell a good story. And what sure. convinced me of this was Megamind coming from DreamWorks. I realized, hey, you know, that's a really fun film. It's not the most polished like uh, other Pixar films or the likes, but it was a really entertaining film. And the more I watched it, the more I realized just how many good lines there were and how well thought through the villain was turning into a good guy. And, uh, you know, it made me realize you know, my biases are there in Pixar's favor, but as long as there's decent movies to be had, I'm okay with whomever the source is. And uh, though I, I, you know, I still have a very soft spot in my heart for Pixar, uh, I, I don't know. I kind of think that you're right that Pixar has been negatively influenced by the change and joining Disney. But if you look at it on the bright side, the silver lining is that Disney has been positively affected by the relationship, very close relationship with Pixar. And it's a good thing that Pixar has been rubbing off on Disney. That's true. Instead of looking at it in the way of, oh, maybe Disney's having a bad influence on Pixar. Maybe we're going to see a lot better Disney animated movies like we did with Wreck-It Ralph. So that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, and I think ultimately you're right, Joe, that that you know it doesn't really matter whether it's coming from the Disney name or from the Pixar name, and really there, it's all one and the same anyway as far as that goes. But it, you know, it's just a little disappointing, I think. Yeah, but yeah, and I know what you mean. But uh, and especially okay, which of the toys? I mean, to me, okay, for me, Toy Story is is the best franchise from Pixar. Would you guys agree with that or disagree with that? Totally agree. What was the question? Is Toy Story the best franchise that Pixar has? Yes, the best franchise, yes. Do you like it the best? I want to say yes. It's my childhood favorite, but I, I can't say it's the best. The best is probably... I'll go with ooh, Up, personally. Yeah, that, yeah, I was going to say Up. Um, I was thinking that there might be a close tie. I didn't hear what you said, and, Ben. I said I'd go with Up. I would okay. even go so far to say it's one of the greatest animated movies ever made. Uh, see, I, yeah, I, I, I like Up well enough. I can't go that far. I would say a close tie for Up might be Finding Nemo. But here's but, the thing for me. Yeah. I think that Toy Sto- all three Toy Stories are the best films that Pixar has made so far. And I cannot, I cannot decide which one of those three films is better. Each one of them has Toy things to recommend it. No. Um, I, I, I would have a hard time saying it's less than Toy Story 1 or Toy Story 3, but I'm not going to put it above them. And that's the I thing. Thought, like, I think the, all three of those films are so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought the third one definitely had the biggest emotional impact. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it may be – I'm trying to remember. It may be the only f- Toy Story – no, that's not true. I think maybe it was the Toy Story at which I um, – I had the most sand in my eyes that I had to get out of my, my eyes. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, I guess the, for the man me was someone was cutting stuff. onions nearby probably. Exactly, exactly, yes. Here, Those onions that they sell in theaters, it's crazy. Okay, here's the thing though. Uh, as long as Pixar's doing sequels and prequels, why on earth haven't we had more in the Incredibles universe? Very true. Uh, well, it's, an, it's still relatively younger than Monsters in University and, well, Inc., I guess. Brad Bird yeah. did say he's thinking up ideas. I want it so badly. He's been thinking up ideas for the last decade. You know, come on. 
But he's been working on Tomorrowland, so maybe after Tomorrowland we might see something. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. I, I want it so badly. And and yeah, Agreed. Brad Bird definitely needs to come back to the franchise and, and, and do that. Because if there's a second favorite you know, after Toy Story, it's easily The Incredibles. Yeah, personal favorites, it's high up there. Yeah. It'd be such an easy one to do a sequel for. Anyways, yeah. it's superheroes. You could, do a, you could do a sequel or a prequel for that, frankly. Yeah. Totally. Um, Perhaps the only difficulty they could they could encounter is that they killed off so many superheroes in the first film that if they wanted to expand the world for the the Incredibles you, beyond the incre- the Incredible family, then it could be difficult to create other original superhero characters. You mean to tell me you don't think whatever. those supers have kids around that they could tap tap into? Eh, the yeah, they could do that. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that'd work. And come on, you still got. Uh, but there, there's a lot of orphans there. You still got Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, I mean, Frozone. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess. So, sh- sh- so do you want to talk about the movie that we're reviewing? Yeah, today, we, we should. And, <laughs> but the reason that I've been uh, I've been hanging out on this topic is because I wanted to have Ben on the show. And Ben, you know, you haven't seen Monsters University yet. I haven't. Shame on you. Shame, shame on shame, me. Shame. You know, if I if I had known I was going to be here. I would have seen it. Yeah. Well, we, we, frankly, we just got this set up today. So I've, I've no been, worries. Yeah. So, so you're just gonna have to listen to Joe and I talk and you can ask us questions too. Like, Hey, you know, talk a little bit more about that. I'm a little unclear on something or whatever. Yeah. You fuel the questions there, uh, Ben, and we'll just uh, answer whatever. So a little bit about this film. It, it opened in theaters on June 21st, 2013. The budget is not available. That's kind of odd. Normally box office mojo uh, has. Is has that pretty the, common of Pixar? I was just wondering. If I that's don't a know Pixar because thing. we have not. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think any Pixar films have come out since we've been doing the movie by podcast. So I don't know. I probably wouldn't have paid attention before. Well, we, sometimes we, sometimes they're a little slow at releasing it. Yeah. Okay. I, I just checked and it's still not up on box office. Mojo, they they want to so. wait until they break even. They, uh, <laughs> that could be. Black order. It could be, yeah. So the opening weekend uh, brought in $82.4 million. Its total worldwide gross thus far is $147.9 million. So, so it cost more than that, probably. Oh, I would say it did. I, I would say so. What, what was uh, like like uh, what was the budget on Brave? Let's see, box like, office. I think it was budget. 175 to 200. Yeah, I was going to say it was around 200,000 million. Yeah, they weren't very specific uh, about million. the Brave I'm budget sorry. either. Huh, I remember that now. You, they, they had a wide range of... You know, without telling the people in, in general. <laughs> it <laughs> yes. was a lot, whatever it was. Okay. Yeah. In well, Rotten show. Tomatoes has a few words to say about Monsters University. Are you ready for this, people? Yeah, let's do it. This is what the critics have to say, uh, not among us. They said, in general, it doesn't scale in the heights of uh, Pixar's finest efforts, but Monsters University is still funny and thoughtful family entertainment for viewers of any age. I actually kind of agree with that. Like, usually I don't always agree with the critic, critical acclaim on Rotten Tomatoes, but that one's pretty good. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. I, I, I usually agree with their assessments, and I agree this time, too. Hmm. What do you think, Ben? <laughs> I'm kidding. I No comment. all right well let's let's uh going in to see the film let's let's uh, disseminate the uh, storyline a little bit here yeah go for it this is the story of mike wazowski leading up to the story just i should say for you your sake ben there's pretty much no spoilers in this storyline just so you know it's it's not all a dream at the end (laughs) (laughs) so this is the story of mike wazowski leading up to the story of monsters inc as a very young monster in grade school the little Mikey was picked on for being smaller and not so scary as most monsters. But Mike tried his darndest to be scary, inspired by a monster that worked on the scare floor at Monsters Incorporated. 
Now a grown young adult adult monster, the majority of the film focuses on Mike's first year in Monsters University and trying desperately to be admitted into the scare program that is most known for graduates that go on to be scarers at Monsters Incorporated. In school, Mike makes fast friends and rivals with other monsters, among them Randall Boggs and James P. Sullivan. Along with the rest of the school, these monsters are competing in the prestigious scare games of school, hoping to earn their way into the scare program. In the games, fraternities play as teams in five obstacle courses that eliminate the losing fraternities one by one. If Mike and Sully want to make it into the scare program and win the favor of their peers, they must come in first in the scare games against all odds. Yes. So, I'm proud of that little synopsis yeah, I wrote. You, you wrote the synopsis that I, w- I read. I just realized you told me that before the show, that you put uh-huh. you put what you wrote that in the show outline. So I tried to make it as spoiler-free as possible. No, I think that that's good. That's good. I think so. Um, we will be talking about spoilers a little later, but oh, sure. just in general, Inevitably. In, in general right now, Joe, I, I read the, out, uh, the uh, storyline, so you tell us a little bit of what you liked about this film. Uh, I liked it that it was so very faithful to Monsters Incorporated, and it didn't try to um, outdo Monsters Incorporated. I like it when a, uh, a, a film franchise can get just better and better when you watch them in chronological order. So this one was a great setup. It's uh, a beautiful thing because it's like an origin story that has nothing to do with superheroes. So, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. so it's, it's pretty fun, right? Because it's a comedy, first and foremost. And, uh, and it has all these great little motifs about, you know, uh, college life that I never experienced, but still seems rather entertaining. And it harkens to a lot of other films pertaining to college and it makes them, it makes the most of them. So Mike really doesn't, you know, fit in because it's something they established with monsters incorporated was that this guy wasn't scarer material. And with this film, they're trying to, uh, ha- they're trying to tell the story um, organically in a comedic way without being too obvious as to why it is Mike doesn't wind up a scarer. And there are a few twists along the way where you feel like they are actually saying that he could be a scarer and, you're, and you believe it in the moment and you want to believe it because you're rooting for Mike. And at the same time, you're wondering, um, you might say that this is a very, very, very mild spoiler here but but sully is something of a jerk <laughs> thank you sir spoiler sorry alert. i should spoiler have, alert. i should have waited sorry but yeah so sully is something of a jerk right and and so you're wondering well how did he how did he turn into such a softy and yeah Monsters such a big lovable monster get, right yeah a big old teddy blue teddy bear and, and with with uh horns you know he's awesome here but at the same time, you can understand there's this bigger rift between Mike and Sully, and that just makes their relationship deeper and more uh, meaningful by the end of the film. And so it's a great setup for Monsters Incorporated. I think that that's artful in and of itself. As a production, it's impressive that they could, they could do a prequel so much justice. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we see very often with prequels. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to spoil this too. Just you know, you've already you've already talked about stuff that I want to get into spoilers on. So, so I, I definitely have to spoil uh, the film here a little bit. So, okay, so what you said that made me think in in these terms is, um, you, you've got this storyline right where Mike is wants to become a scarer, like with all his heart. That's what he wants to do. Is he wants to become a scarer? 
but, but you already know that he doesn't. So you're wondering throughout this whole film, how does this end well? Where is this story going? What on earth are they trying to set up? And how you just don't see how they can can end it and yeah. and, and and do so on a good and positive note. And and especially when they come to that final competition and and for me, I felt like this was actually just a little bit like this is actually one of my complaints with the film. Like he he, you know, he sneaks into that that uh, simulator and he he jumps up and, rah, you know, as, as and he does all the stuff beforehand, like scraping the, the bed, you know, and stuff like a scarer would. And, and, and the thing, peg, it, it pegs out the scare meter and you're sitting there going, that wasn't scary at all. What, that's a dead giveaway. That's, that thing's been tampered with. Hmm. If they, if they would have, if they would have made it so that he didn't peg the scare meter all the way out and just like, but did decent, you would have, you would have thought, huh, well, maybe he did do that. And then it was revealed that Sully tampered with it. I think that would have been so much better. Hmm. But, hmm. but that's kind of an aside. That's, that's a little bit of a dislike. Yes, I, you know, the thing is, I personally didn't find that to be a bad twist. I, I was kind of suckered into it. You were so you believed it. Like you I believed really that there was going to be some other plausible uh, thing to unfold after that that particular obstacle course game thing what, that would explain as to why Mike wasn't ultimately destined to be a scarer. I didn't think that they'd go back and explain. Oh, you know, the, uh, that there was some cheating going on. I didn't see that coming. I don't know why I didn't see it coming. In hindsight, you know, it it, it actually is one of those th- tricks of good storytelling they say screenwriters try to do what just makes sense without uh being too obvious about it yeah so that uh, on the one hand you feel like oh wow that was very compelling because uh you didn't see it coming and two it was very compelling because what inevitably happened just had to happen right and you feel like it's the way it ought to have happened and that that's obviously two sides of the same coin and you know very there's a very difficult balance there for screenwriters to make that kind of compelling story so I don't know. For me, it worked. Uh, I can see why, though, it didn't work work for you as well. No, I totally knew that 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 thing had been tampered with. That that, and it was probably Sully because you, you know you see Sully going through all these things. Like like at first he's such a jerk, right? And and he's so um so full of himself and and you know so just kind of cruising through life without thinking about things. And and then he, as he's warming up and as he's and as his story's progressing and as as any good Pixar film, it does so in a great and and well designed way. I was very happy with the journey but but at this point he is wanting mike he doesn't want mike's dreams to be crushed and he wants that so badly that he's willing to tamper with it and and so they've already got that they've already established that mike that that sully is rooting for mike and that he's afraid that mike's going to be crushed when he doesn't win the competition and and they've already established that that this that that this sort of thing that that sully's not opposed to cheating (laughs) they established that earlier if you remember and yeah you're right and so I immediately knew when that when that scare meter hit the top and my, and Mike hadn't even been that scary. I, I said, "No, there's no way he tampered with it." So hmm. you're, but but to my larger point, uh, which I, I I liked, you're still wondering how is this going to end? What what like how are they going to bring this in for a landing in the way Pixar always does in a good way? Yeah, I did not see the climax coming. Yeah, I did that, not see how they could get out of it either. And I loved it. I loved the climax. Now on that note, though. Do you think that it was as grand of a climax as that of Monsters Inc? Now that uh, is, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not I'm not saying one way or the other that if you say yes, it's a bad thing or no, it's no, a bad because, thing. I, I mean, I it, liked it because, in my opinion, that was one way this film didn't try to outdo Monsters Inc. 
and yet still was entertaining enough with what it was that I thoroughly enjoyed it. And at the same time, acknowledge that it's not quite as clever, creative, or impactful. I don't think that the end of the film was – it certainly wasn't as world-changing to the world of Monsters, Inc. Yeah. And this – I think this gets back to something Joss Whedon said about Avengers 2, which I think applies here. They've, the people have asked him in interviews and stuff, well, how do you, how do you go bigger than the Avengers? And Joss Whedon says, <laughs> don't even try. You don't go bigger. You go right. deeper. And that's what they've done here in, uh, in Pixar. Yeah, yeah. They, they went deeper into the characters. And that's what makes this film so good and, and, hmm. and why you appreciate the journey. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, Ben, did you like Monsters, Inc.? Is it close to your top three for Pixar films? Yes. I thought Monsters, Inc. is probably my third favorite Pixar movie after Up and Toy Story 3. Okay. Hmm. See, for me, it would have been, let's see here, Up, probably then Toy Story 2, then Monsters, Inc. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. This is something I touched on in my review, which will, by the way, also be in the show notes. Um, and, and that's why a prequel. And I think because, as we're ta- we were already talking about the end of Monsters, Inc. being more grand, grandiose and world-changing to the world of Monsters, Inc., uh, and, and I think that's exactly why they went for a prequel, because what are you going to do in the Monsters world now that they've resolved everything so, so uh, well and peacefully? I think, that the, I, I think that the Monsters University is now a setup for them to continue with a franchise and make it a trilogy. And they could. I mean, I think they could is, do something in the yeah. in the world of Monsters Inc. post Monsters Inc. But it's even if, it's more difficult. Like, what do it you could do? Be. I, here, here's an idea. It could be that now that Monsters Inc. has set up a world where Mike and Sully are at the 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 top of their game, and they are leading their culture. They are they are the very pinnacle of their culture now. That they have turned Monsters Inc. upside down. That. It comes full circle and they wind up going back to the university to uh, change the educational programs. It could be something as simple as that because as we know it, Monsters University has to rewrite all of their educational programs to stay in business after what they did in Monsters, Inc. Think about that. That's one option. Yeah, I suppose. Although, what what kind of a story is there in that, though? I mean, I, unless you I, have I, some villain that's opposed to it and trying to get Monstropolis uh, back on track is scaring. Well, I'm thinking. I'm just thinking out loud here. What if Boo, as an older young woman or something, comes back to the monsters' world and becomes involved in their culture, becomes involved in in the the new education programs? Boo! See what I did there. <laughs> Yeah, you're mean. <laughs> you're, you're pathetic. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying that that's the right choice. I don't know. I just I, feel like it's hard. It would be hard to do a film in the post Monsters Inc. world or harder because you've, you've completely and fundamentally changed the things that make monsters unique and special and fun and the, the twist on things. You, you've changed it. You know, now it's no longer, you're not, you're not sneaking out of closets and scaring kids. And, and creating power. Now you're making them laugh, which which well, was kind of the, the the fun thing about Monsters Inc. Yeah, but uh, here's another thought too. What if um, Monsters Three wants to change it where they stop getting their electrical power that way altogether? What if they realize, hey, you know, we're actually like intruding on people's homes and this is bad for privacy and stuff like that, and maybe they gotta come up with some other uh, way around it to you know 
answer the moral implications of just breaking and entering people's homes and entertaining or frightening kids. I mean, if you think about it, it's still rather comically disturbing that monsters are, you know, breaking and entering into the human world to <laughs> right. freak out kids or to, you know, humor little kids. I mean, yeah. Either way, I'd, it's actually pretty, pretty uh, weird. Well, this is something <laughs> you like can probably... See, I'd like to see more of the human world, personally. Yeah, I would, too. And that's something they did in Monsters uh, University, which we, we you know... Uh, James Sullivan and uh, Mike actually got trapped in the human world. I got it. It's going to be a movie all about getting the abominable snowman back to the monster's <laughs> world. Rescue mission. I assume that he was brought back after everything changed. Oh, that's a huge assumption, TJ. I guess. <laughs> I guess. But you know, uh, th- th- it definitely was something they did at Monsters University was, was trapping Mike and uh and and Sully in the r- the real world, which I thought was great. And and the way they had to work together to create the best scare to power the door I didn't from the side. That coming because I did not either. That was a great they, twist. Uh, the way in which it was set up in Monsters Inc., I got the impression it was the first time anything like that had happened. And so when they did that here, that was that was a fine twist. Yeah, no, I liked it. You know, another thing I I liked was the whole uh, friends and enemies aspect where at first Mike is buddying up to Randall and and it looks like they're going to be buddies and go throughout college. Right. And that's that's kind of a thing that happens in the real world. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody who's actually become my enemy, uh, but but I I have I'm I'm good friends with somebody right now who at first I distinctly remember having a personality conflict with like, whoa, I, I don't want anything to do with this guy. He's weird. He's nuts. He's got weird ideas and things. And it just, you know, you know, those people that have personality conflicts with you. Thankfully, you weren't one of them. Those people, Joe. But mm. <laughs> I, I've always liked you, man. Oh, thank you. But um, I was wondering. It, it's it's definitely very kind of real to life, right? Like he's he's going along. He's friends with Randall, and he hates Sully, and Sully's kind of a jerk. But but in the end, everything's different, and everything's changed. And you notice too, there were surprisingly few characters that they brought into this film from the Monsters Inc. film. They they introduced a lot of original characters that felt very natural to the Monsters Inc. world without feeling pressured to keep all of the same characters or a majority of the characters or anything like that. That was something about Toy Story that was pretty interesting because they made these films in the linear fashion. They, they didn't do any prequels, right? They were able to just keep, they felt in a sense obligated to keep all of the original toys throughout all three films and then introduce yeah. new toy characters. And when they took away characters like Bo in Toy Story 3, you felt uh, a little frustrated as a, a member of the audience that grew up with that character, kind of thinking, you know, oh, Bo was important to Woody. What about Woody? What about Bo? You know, and, yeah. and, so, and so that kind of irked you a little bit. But in this film, because this is a prequel, right? You're not too concerned that uh, Mikey doesn't have his uh, girlfriend, the uh, the one-eyed, uh, you know, snake monster woman character. Um, yeah, it's okay that she isn't in this film because they they'd only been dating for a very short time in Monsters Inc. Right. And so in this film, it makes sense that the majority of the monsters would be original characters, and once they moved on out of college, naturally they would lose uh, contact with a lot of those monsters and they wouldn't end up working at Monsters, Inc. Yeah. Hmm. Did they have the paperwork woman? 
Oh. Mike Wazowski. There Whoa, was a cameo. That's a good. That's a great impersonation. <laughs> that was a really great impersonation, wasn't it? <laughs> Do that again. <laughs> Mike Wazowski, you that's didn't awesome. file your paperwork. That's awesome. A, a younger version of the lady, but yeah, that's that's dead on. Yeah, there was definitely a cameo, but she she wasn't really. She could not not have been there, and you would never have noticed it. Right. Well, see, that was the beauty. But of it was it, fun when they introduced the CDA in passing very quickly in this film, it was so funny because it, you know, we know about monsters Inc. duh, but for future generations that watch these films in order, that little scene doesn't mean a lot to you. And at the same time, you feel like it, it, uh, it was, it was well communicated to, uh, suggest there was something more going on. And mm-hmm. then in the monsters Inc. I think your curiosity will be more piqued than uh, it was for us even when the CDA appeared in the original film. Yeah. That's a very good, that's a very good observation uh, there, Ben. It's funny that you should ask that question. That's yeah. Yeah. And the way in which they tied her in at the last minute. Oh, that's good. I really want to see the movie. (laughs) Well, you need to get out there and see it. Um, So Joe, how did you feel about the first, uh, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes? Um, not, I didn't have a positive or negative feeling towards it one way or the other, I guess. That's kind of how I felt, which I was convinced, though, just because I felt I didn't have a positive or negative feeling. I was convinced it was going to be a dud film. I'm like, I'm 15 minutes into this film, and yeah. I feel nothing. Hey, Ben, on this note, um, what do you think about Pixar films in general? Do they seem to have slow starts, or do they usually start off with a bang, and you're just totally glued to the story? Personally, I've never had a problem with any getting into any of the Pixar movies, maybe cars cars for me was a, a little bit slow to start just because the, I wasn't that intrigued by the story. Okay. But I've never had a problem with any, even like the bugs life, you know, I thought was brought you in immediately. And, yeah. uh, yeah. yeah, I've always felt like Pixar films hooked you yeah. a lot quicker than monsters university did for me. I, I, I think that up and the Incredibles did the best jobs, right? I was going to say mm-hmm. up is the classic example of, uh, you talk about taking you through your gamut of emotions in the first yeah. 10 minutes of a film. I mean, how, how does anybody watch up and not cry at, at the, the very beginning? In the first 10 minutes. It's, it's crazy. It's in that it's five great. minute segment. They do so without any words either. Exactly. It's all, yeah, it's, it's all that it's, the score and the image. It's amazing, and and that's where I felt like, wow, what what has happened here? Pixar is they're they're not grabbing me here, and that's why I was convinced at first that it was going to be a dud. I, I was glad they moved on past that. And it's not theory. like I it's not like I didn't enjoy seeing Mike in grade school. Yeah, but it's just like uh, somehow they just failed to quite hook me into the story at first. Yeah, I guess perhaps they weren't trying to hook in the adults so much in the first act as they were trying to hook in the children. And then they knew that the adults would follow once they got to college. Right. And to some extent, you know, once you're you're in there, A, it's a Pixar film. B, you've already spent your money on the ticket. You know, <laughs> it's not like in the first 15 minutes they're really going to lose you, you know, I yeah. guess. so. What I really want to know, though, is, and I'm sure Ben is dying to know, TJ, is whether or not either one of us watched this movie in 3D and whether or not it's worth to get the glasses. Did you watch it in 3D? Because you know I didn't. I, I, I still hate 3D. <laughs> I, just before, you, before you answer that, real quick, I uh, was it Monday or Tuesday? I, uh, it was Tuesday. It was yesterday. I uh, was already in Franklin. I had to go in and uh, do some work. And then I, uh, before I left, I decided, well, this is my opportunity to see World War Z. So I looked on Fandango. Ah, there's a showing at 110. Good. 
So I went in there and I bought the ticket and they handed me the 3D glasses. I said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. I thought this said 2D on the website. No, this is 3D shine. The 2D is not until like 3.30 or something. I'm like, well, I can't wait that long. So I went and saw it in 3D. I still hate 3D. Still terrible. Did nothing for the film. Anyway, so did you see the film in 3D? I saw The Man of Steel in 3D. But did you see did you see monsters? Oh, you saw which which in two D? I saw both of them in two D. Okay, two both of them being Uh, World Man of Steel and World War Z. I did not personally like feel I needed to spend any extra money on three D. This is a very rare instance where I'll cash out extra money for three D. Yeah, I hate three D. All right, so Man of Steel, yeah, the three D absolutely does nothing. There were even times in the middle of the film I took off the glasses and I looked up and it was there was hardly any reason to wear the glasses. It, the picture was practically perfect without them. Right. So did you see Monsters in 3D? No. And I actually went looking for a showing without 3D because of my experience with Up. Um, Up was a little bit tough when it came to the 3D. It was one of the few films where, yes, it looked like they tried to go the extra mile and make the 3D very effectively used. But then at the same time, it gave me more eye fatigue or whatever you want to call that than I'm most always, films with 3d always have a headache after i come out of the 3d movie up is actually the only film in the past five years when i saw it in 3d that it, you know that it, well i guess i don't know it was five how old is up it it's, yeah it's in the last five years 2009 yeah. yeah i think yeah. 2009 sounds right it was the last film that thought in the last five years that that actually gave me a little bit of a headache so i just i i was like eh, I'm, I'm not going to go out on a limb here I, I mean, I always recommend staying away from 3D. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit of a film snob and a filmmaker, and I feel like the art form is a 2D art form. Why are we trying mm-hmm. to make it? Th- so anyway. So I hope, Ben, that we've sold you on 2D. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm all for 2D. <laughs> yeah. I don't like 3D. 3D's a Your life is in 2D. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, I'm pretty much talked out on this film. Uh, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't Pixar's best work, but it certainly wasn't their worst. It was, it was a great film. Uh, do you have anything that you want to add or any likes or dislikes? I don't know. Well, let's see here. Uh, bu- 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 I guess we've already related it very well to Monsters, Inc. Um, I, d- I do really enjoy these characters, even though I don't expect we'll see <laughs> any of them again. It's kind of weird unless they do go through with my idea, my pitch for yeah. the sequel to Monsters, Inc. Um, let's see here. Uh, th- you know, if John Lasseter wants to get together for lunch, uh, Ben, you could schedule that for me. Um, um, I'll see what the schedule looks like, but it's kind of cool. busy. Okay. <laughs> um, and you know, let's see here. Oh yeah. That's, that was something else. One more like I wanted to mention, and then I'll just, uh, touch upon one other, you know, minor quibble. Uh, one of the other likes I have about this film is that there weren't any moments throughout the entire film where I felt like the scene, the scene was subpar. Or that what they tried to do with the scene was subpar, or a character wasn't working for me. Even in the Toy Story films, there were a few brief moments or characters or lines of dialogue. I just didn't feel like they lived up to the rest of the film or the franchise. Um, you know, just random small things. With this film, there was really not any singular moment that I can say, now that didn't belong in the film. Or, why did they do, why did they do that with that character? You know, there was nothing that came to mind like that. And then one the one the other dislike I guess you could say is that on the whole this is 
we've expressed a lot of likes for this film. So we're about to get to our star rating. And, and there's a reason why you and I both TJ didn't give it five stars. For me, the reason I didn't give it five for five was because on the whole, it isn't quite as compelling as the first monster film. No. And it's, it's not like necessarily one of the top three best Pixar films. It's still pretty great, but it, it, it just, when you compare it to other Pixar greatness, it isn't the best. So that's where it's kind of like, uh, I think Pixar gave it all it had, but for what there's, what there's here, it's just not as you know, fundamentally great as their other great films. So, so that's like my one sort of overarching on the overall impression of the film you know, dislike. If you want to even call it a dislike, yeah. I don't know. Observation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I too, and this is one of the rare instances, Joe, where we both give it four out of five. I mean, where we both agree completely on our star rating. I gave it four out of five stars, and I kind of feel the same way. Like it's it's a solid film, and and four stars is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, you know, as we talk, especially about, for comedies or kids' films. Yeah. So I mean. You know, Toy Story three would probably get four and a half stars out of me, maybe maybe five. I'd have to think about that a little, but um, so this four is nothing to sneeze at, uh, and, and I do. I give it four or five stars, and I, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, it's, so it's, a, it's a good, solid film. So according to you guys, it sounds like Pixar is back. Maybe I, I think I think I'm we'll need to see to one or two more so. films. I believe okay. that there is hope here. Hope, hope on the horizon. Yeah. Yes. I I, I think the M U stands for hope. <laughs> all right well i think that uh that's it for our review of monsters university hey. we have not decided yet what we're going to talk about next week and i think our plans are a little bit in flux because you're not even supposed to be on the show next week joe and we haven't talked further with ben about what we're going to do but I, there's two films on the on the docket here that we could talk about one would be world war z and the other white house down uh and i'm i'm kind of looking forward to white house down just because it should be good goofy fun Hmm. Uh, World War Z, I already know what I think about it, so maybe we'll talk about that. Be prepared for for our listeners. Be prepared for either one, because I'm not going to say which one right now. Ben, what's your vote? Um, personally, I'm looking forward to White House Down. I'm going to see it this weekend, and I have seen World War Z, so I don't know. They could both be good. All right. Well, well it we'll, could be a double we'll, feature. We'll make the decision early in the week next week, and we'll, we won't even know who's on the podcast for sure next week, but we'll figure that out, and we'll <laughs> let everybody know on the website, moviebite.com. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we need to go ahead and wind this down. Uh, Joe, where may people find you on the internet and keep up with you and your wanderings and your writings and things like the that? The same place it is every week. Um, the internet, uh, Facebook. I'm Joseph Darnell on Facebook. So facebook.com slash Joseph Darnell. Uh, Twitter.com slash Joseph Darnell. And my personal site is jivingjackalope.net. And every now and then I may creep up on movie bite by surprise. Yeah. Well, I've been trying to talk you into writing a review for something here soon. So uh, maybe you'll, we'll see when sure. your reviews on moviebite.com soon. Absolutely. Well, Ben, uh, if people are now having heard this episode, want to find out more about you, want to follow your work online, maybe they want to keep up with you. Where, where can they do that at? I'd say the best place to do that is Twitter. My uh, username is Ben Kaiser. That's B E N K A Y S E R. Four films. Ben Kaiser, four films. Sweet. So the, another the, Twitter uh, man. Number four. Oh, the number four. I was going to ask. Four films. Okay. Another Twitter guy. That's yep. right. 
And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro, if that's where you guys want to follow me, and Twitter is my preferred uh, network for that. I am on Facebook, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. You can, you can subscribe to me and my uh, feed there. Uh, you can certainly follow the work that I do. I post every single weekday at, at moviebyte.com. Uh, you can find the show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 49, because this is the 49th episode. Uh, we would love it if you take the time to rate the show in iTunes. Just search for Movie Byte. We're right there in iTunes. You can uh, give us a five-star rating. That would be much appreciated. It will help people find the podcast and uh, get us more listeners and subscribers so that we can keep the show going. Anything less than five stars, you need to go home and rethink your life. Yeah, that's right. I mean, because come on, we're awesome. Admit it. So uh, that's it for us. We're out of here. We'll talk to you all next week. 